2006, so when I founded the company, so I borrowed 25,000 euros from my parents, which I returned back at zero percent interest. <laughs> <laughs> the best investors. Best investors the best ever. <laughs> uh, you have to be very harsh with your brothers, indeed, because business is business and family is family. Tomorrow, I'm not in InfoBip anymore. I would create my own start new startup. Today we talked with Silvio Kutic, who created a billion-dollar company in a village of 3,000 people. While we were pre preparing for this interview, I went to your LinkedIn page and I took a look at your CV and there are only two things there. So you graduated and you founded InfoVip. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, so, lit, yeah, so little information, so many stories, but I felt like something was missing. So I went through your older interviews and I try to gather some things and I found out that your InfoBip is not actually your first job. Uh, so your first job was um, creation electricity company after you graduated from the Faculty of Electrical Engineering and Computing in Zagreb. And as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, on your first, first work day you got up, went to work, worked for four hours, is that correct? Okay. You went on a break, and you drank coffee, or did you eat something? Mm -hmm. what, what do you remember? <laughs> yes, I didn't do anything. Like, I just went to my apartment, picked up my stuff, oh, okay. took the first bus, and came back to Vignan. And you never came back to work. What was going through your head to, uh, those four hours you were working, and those four or five hours you were traveling home after that? Yeah, first, so uh, I was working on my master thesis, you know, uh, so I graduated energetics, like high voltage, not this low voltage stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was working for seven months this master thesis, you know. Okay. And it was like uh, basically uh, Java server and uh, client for geographic information system of the whole like electrical network of Croatia. And it was 99% developing 1% energetics, which I was like studying. Mm -hmm. And this like really the director of this like uh, company really liked what I'm doing. And they wanted to implement this with SCADA connected to automatize the whole network, you know. And uh, so they've been waiting me there for two, three months that I will come. He presented me to the other directors on a conference of other like electrical utility companies, like from the region, you know. Mm -hmm. So everybody knew that I'm coming there. They've been waiting. Me. And this first day, so I came there, mm -hmm. and I got a little lost. They had very slow internet. Oh. <laughs> what and year was that? In 2003, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow was not, I was not feeling a good atmosphere, like challenging and mm -hmm. uh, diff very different than what I was expecting. But, you know, like I was there for some time until lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I left. That was enough for you. And I never came back. And then, uh, you know, I uh, had the idea to start mm -hmm. something, you know, about communication. Mm -hmm. That was in 2003. Mm -hmm. And um, I already did my first project of the virtual community in mm -hmm. 2002, before that. Then I graduated, then I continued working in this field, you know. But this was, these four hours was like basically that was enough for the you. only experience <laughs> outside of InfoBip that I had. Why didn't you give it more time? Like someone else would say, okay, let's give it a week, a month, maybe. A year, 10 a years. Year. 
ah, you know, like uh, you have to take uh, quick the decisions. And as you can mm -hmm. see, like, uh, I mean, this is like a good environment. If you want a stable job and you can do some good stuff there also. Mm -hmm. But it was like maybe too slow for what I thought that I would be working on. You know? I mean, at that point, um, like working for a public company is something that was government-owned government, government company. It was the dream, creation dream. Yeah, creation it was a dream. dream. And like being an entrepreneur was a nightmare. And I would argue for some it still is. <laughs> How did, why did you decide at that point, okay, I do want to start my own company. What made you think, okay, this makes sense for me? Uh, yes, so the, like the, this was like a dream job and like some colleagues of that were in the same group with me on the university, they joined the same company. They're still there mm -hmm. because it fits for them there. And, um, but you know, from when I was very, Young, I wanted to start start my software company. Interesting. From mm -hmm. like uh, when I was twelve, thirteen already, I knew that I wanted to do that. Did you see other companies, and then you said, oh, "Okay, these are my like examples." I was like already developing stuff at the mm -hmm. time. Uh, do you remember your first project? My first project. So I um, I built like in that time was Clipper, Fox Plus, and this DB. Um, I, I built the software for the library at the school here, mm -hmm. like for the books, you know, and also I built another software for the um, warehouse management for the company where my father was working. Okay. They never paid me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we are actually film, filming this in Vodnyan. How many residents does Vodnyan have? 6,000, I think? 3,300 Vodnyan. Even less. Yeah. Okay. But with Peroy, Galijana, let's say the whole uh, surrounding 6,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you started here and you are still here. And uh, one of your first projects, if I read correct in your interviews, was made in garage. Just a typical startup story, uh, but those, those garages are quite different than the ones uh, from Silicon Valley. I mean, we've been to Silicon Valley, we saw the garages Apple was made in, uh, but not just the looks, of course, but the background of the founders, the education, the access to funding. Can you explain what it looked like for an entrepreneur that wanted to uh, start its own his own startup back then without the funding without the yeah so uh, first it was very crazy <laughs> and you know like my parents so they very been supporting about mm -hmm. me like founding the company and doing that stuff but you know in one moment they said but you know like you studied five years you work just four hours in what you studied five years yeah <laughs> and uh, now you know like you are building a software that where you basically resell some messaging mm -hmm. messages for like few cents, you know, like where is the business model here? And at that time we didn't have the business model right yet. And um, also like being an entrepreneur in these years in Croatia after the war, and yeah. uh, we transitioned from the, like the communist socialistic system like uh, to a private model. So like being like an entrepreneur, a business person was like, a, a little bit criminalized, let's yeah. say, in the society because of everything what happened, how this process of transition was made, you know. Mm -hmm. Today is much better, but at that time was like a little um, negative mm -hmm. to be like a business entrepreneur. 
was it hard for you to be seen in that light? Like you were doing no, something no. that wasn't... For me, I started everything from uh, scratch, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm very proud of that. You know, I will do it that again, of course. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, uh, you know, also in InfoBip, I'm trying to build new stuff from scratch. So this is very interesting for me. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, Something, you know, like how to, let, let's say, what was my main, let's say, motivation to do that. First, you know, I wanted to be, to have autonomy and to create something from scratch, something useful, something with value, something with impact, you know. And second, you know, after these four hours, but, you know, like in Croatia at that time, you really didn't have many very cool places where to work mm -hmm. and where you can basically flourish after university. And I wanted to create something. We didn't know exactly what, but it was always about communication. Mm -hmm. But something, you know, that to help people to grow mm -hmm. through this company, you know, not just for the company, but for them. That's why you created that virtual network, virtual municipality project. That was our first yeah. project, yeah. What was that about? Let's say uh, that project was like a social network. It was like, uh, let's say, you could create a virtual working place, which was like a channel through the, through a CMS, and then like the users could subscribe through web, email, SMS at that time. Mm -hmm. And then we had to uh, launch this project on 10th of August 2002. 10th of August is the day of the city here. So yeah, I know okay. exactly the date, you know, but this, uh, we didn't have it uh, like finished. It was like maybe 30% done. And then we've been presenting okay. here, you know, like here at the main square and we had like the mayors of all the major cities here, etc., etc. Yeah. a lot of politicians, you know, how it is and lots of business people. And um, we've been presenting Roberto, Tommy, another friend uh, and I. And um, we collected the numbers of all these people that entered the room. Very GDPR. <laughs> yeah, but of course. I, I, I just want to say that. <laughs> this was in 2002, you know. <laughs> and I mean, then, like, you know, like, then we put, like, in behind the scenes, until we've been presenting, we put these numbers in the database. And how I was presenting, when I click on one link, everybody's receiving, like, welcome to the virtual community, etc., etc. Wow. Yeah. And uh, after that, we had like lunch all together and then like people went home and started to click on the website and, you know, like the mayor of Wanyan came, guys, please, can you stop this? Everybody received already 100 messages because people went home and they've been clicking this link. There were, you know, like, <laughs> was like just hard-coded, you know, like yeah. you're sending the message to everybody. Oh my God. And then after that, and I was working on this project, like really from a garage. We, we had like also like the doors of the virtual community. It was like a touch screen, you could take a picture, you know, like, uh, and we've been building that stuff, you know, like uh, there and developing there and everything. And um, I was working on this with several friends from the university and Roberto, my brother, was also in this first team. But, you know, like how we failed with this first presentation, somehow everybody left the project and then I finished this project in the next seven, eight months alone, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I re-entered the developing world, let's say, that I was some few years at the university, I was not developing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was developing before that. 
And so I just continued working on that kind of things. Then I had my master and then I continued after that with this, like when I took the bus back with several other projects and all these projects failed. Why didn't that phase you? Why did you continue? If like the project failed, it didn't work, why, did you, why didn't you switch to something else or just say like, okay, I'll join someone else? And... Ah, okay, but because that's what I wanted to do, you know, like even after, you know, like I came back with this buzz there, mm -hmm. they've been calling me for three months, are you coming back to work or not? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you didn't, didn't actually, you didn't actually quit, you didn't, <laughs> didn't sign. And, uh, but you know, like I was, so nothing was really happening, let's say, nothing was moving, but I was so happy every day that I'm doing what I like and what somehow was for me, you know. So you, you rediscovered coding and that was coding, the Coding, but I was building something, you okay. know, like I You're didn't know what, but you know, like I was, one project failing another project is like a lot of energy and you know like when you have like uh, all of that like efforts energy and uh, willingness you know you have to succeed mm -hmm. so you know this actually discovered power of sms through that project uh, yeah. and sms is still standing strong today yes. um what do you think when will sms era end will it end <laughs> or is it an evolution yeah uh, I think that will end um, in the next five to ten years mm -hmm. because the technology is very old. Uh, last year was 30 years of the technology, yeah. 1992. Yeah. You remember that we had Jimmy Kimmel on the US yeah, TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And, um, but it's so simple technology that everybody can use it. Mm -hmm. And for companies, it's very, let's say, low effort to create campaigns, to create communication strategies, and it, it does the job on the other side. And it's very ubiquitous, so like everybody can receive an SMS, everybody knows how it works, everybody knows how to reply if you need. Mm -hmm. So it's very simple technology, it is like very well adopted globally. And um, today we see like uh, WhatsApp and other OTTs being used much, much more. And also we, um, we see that Google is pushing like the SMS 2.0, like RCS. So the thing will be transitioned into more rich channels. But again, like for all these big shifts, you need time also. Mm -hmm. But still today, this SMS, A2P, application to person, so businesses communicating with the end users, is growing. Mm -hmm. So it's basically a matter of shifting it in time and then... Yeah, but also in the next, let's say, three to five years, what analysts predict, they predict globally growth still in the A2P SMS. And then after that, probably the replacement as new Android devices, for example, by default implementing RCS, there will be this big shift at once on RCS and a message for a mm -hmm. business. Uh, on top of that question, were there moments like during this evolution of SMS that people said, oh, SMS is dead? Yeah, yes, every year. Did, did, have you ever worried <laughs> about that? Have you seen, oh, the analyst said, oh, SMS is dying and you're, damn, we might not have a business then. Or, no, but, but okay, we're, let's say, tracking this analyst maybe last five, six, seven years. Before mm -hmm. it was like all gut feeling and we had demand here, we've been building use cases. Yeah. But we've seen already it was growing and like 2006, seven, eight already like uh, people said, you know, like SMS is dying. And that's mm -hmm. it for the technology. But it's still here, it's still growing. What would you suggest or, or give advice to other entrepreneurs that are working in different fields maybe and are, are hearing, oh, something they're working on is dying or is not hot as well? What would you recommend to them as like how to, how to decide that they should like continue on their track? Is it a matter of like the gut feeling that you mentioned? Is it about like looking at the data? 
uh, gut feeling, it's like uh, also like you're taking in consideration data. And mm. it's very, very important that you're in touch with customers mm. to understand, okay, how any technology mm-hmm. is like having value for them, what's the impact there, how they plan to use it in the future. Then you understand better how to move. But also if you have the data that, for example, Android, mm-hmm. they will implement uh, RCS as the default communication. So this will change, let's say, on that side. But our platform is capable and we are like already working with, with all of those players. Mm-hmm. We've heard that you really like talking to customers, but you you think it's important, obviously. What does talking to customers, in your case, mean operationally? Like, How do you, as a CEO today of a unicorn, talk to customers? Just like to give people an idea that even when you're at the top, you need to talk to people. Yeah, yeah. it's like I'm talking to customers like I'm not the CEO. I'm trying to see, okay, which type of problem they are having, how we can solve this with our technology, what are they expecting from us, how we could develop. For me, it's the most important, okay, why they are paying us to understand, okay. why somebody is paying your product, how they see like um, in three to six months or a year, what will be their needs, so I understand the trends and I understand, okay, how our products product design, you know, and product development, how we should position our products mm-hmm. going forward also. This is the most important, of course, and being in touch with the customer for that is very important, and like for us as well, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, like it's like a customer discovery, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get back to the media. Uh, you were under the media radar for a long time. I mean, Ivan and I have been following the, the startup scene in this region for 10 or 15 years. And we always knew that, that there was some company in Pula doing telecom something. Uh, but when you decided to talk to media, it was under your terms. So what was that moment that convinced you that now you actually need to talk to journalists and do some interviews and be on TV? And Okay, yeah. but we are not a lot on TV and in okay. media also today. But, uh, but more than before. <laughs> uh, before, we never. We, we've been under the radar. I think uh, we've been very focused on doing what we are doing, you know, in our work. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't have much customers in Croatia. It's like from almost day one, we've been international company, traveling all around the world. And um, also, like from, a, let's say, um, public perspective, you know, like again connected with this, like, uh, let's say, now it's very different. It's uh, more like uh, entrepreneurship, uh, so people are more cheering, like positively looking yeah. at that. At that moment was or negative or, you know, like, um, let's say, neutral. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, that was the main reason. So, we didn't see any, let's say, good reason to come out of all medias here, you know. Yeah. Yeah, what surprised you the most after being in media? The most, like, but uh, let's say, uh, f- because like, you know, like uh, when you read like the comments uh, mm. on the social networks so here in Croatia. You read the comments. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like when you read about other, 
let's okay. say some entrepreneurs here, you, you read very, very negative comments. So, okay. you know, like uh, mm. what they mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, for us, we have uh, we had always very positive uh, feedback from the public, mm -hmm. let's say, when we started to go more with more publicity through mm -hmm. the medias here. Mm -hmm. Maybe because like um, we've been bootstrapping, we didn't uh, take anything from the government, yeah. from the EU, from some other strange investors or something. So <laughs> like, uh, and people liked that story, you know. No, it is a, a very weird story. When I wrote an article about the first investment in Info, it was literally like this company has bootstrapped for 14 years to Unicorn, which is weird. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. How did that come about in terms of like, did you even think of getting investment back in the day? Was it an option for you? Did you say no or did you think like, okay, we, we won't do it? Because a lot of companies would looking at the Silicon Valley model, say, okay, mm -hmm. we need to raise Series A, Series B, Series C. What was your thinking then? So, like, uh, first I was from, let's say, 2001 till 2006, so like about five years. Mm -hmm. I was like trying with all these failures, but nicely I was like pivoting, you know, but mm -hmm. I failed all of that stuff. But I was changing, pivoting a little bit the model and technical uh, mm -hmm. model as well and business. and. In 2006, so when I founded the company, so I borrowed 25,000 euros from my parents, which I returned back at 0% interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> the best investors. Best investors the best ever. Investors. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, and uh, so from day one, after all these five years, we've been profitable. Mm -hmm. So when Infobip was founded, before I was using the company of my father for invoicing and stuff, so we've been already earning much more than our costs, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, so at the end of 2005, we found like really the product's market fit. And I was like, I started developing, uh, I stopped developing somewhere in uh, August 2005. Mm -hmm. I started to do just sales. Mm -hmm. And I was getting in touch with 40, 50 companies per day, you know, but it was August and summer. And I then said, okay, now 60, 70 per day. And then when they started to come back, you know, from summer vacation, People just started to call me, they want to buy our product, you know. Mm -hmm. And at once, you know, like in two, three weeks after that, we started to earn in a day what we've been earning in a month before. And then we started to earn in a day like what we would earn in six months. Mm -hmm. So it started to boom our business model, you know, it exponential growth. Is there a certain moment when you, you said you hit a uh, product fit? What was the moment where those inbounds came in? Why did people start? Was it word of mouth? It was not outbound, uh, inbound. I was mm -hmm. outbound mm -hmm. contacting them. Yeah. But uh, they been on summer vacation or something, oh, okay. you know, and then yeah. somewhere like beginning, mid of September, mm -hmm. everybody started to come back. Okay. And, you know, like from all these models about communication, the virtual community, then we had like this uh, My Network, which was like email, CMS, and SMS. Then in the end, we became a simple SMS API platform. You could just connect to APIs and send messages. So this was the beginning of CPAS. We mentioned bootstrapping. What are the benefits of bootstrapping in your opinion and what have they been for Infobip? So like Infobip uh, was created in 2006, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. but five years prior to that, we've been already starting, we started already our journey. And in these five years, we found our product market fit. So when we founded really the company Infobip, we've been already profitable. 
and we continued like basically to reinvest what we've been gaining from our operating uh, model and uh, by uh, and we bootstrapped the company till 2022 and we grew to to almost one billion dollars in revenue in 2020 when we raised our round A basically and uh, bootstrapping I think it's very good because in, in if you if I compare bootstrapping and when you raise the capital when you bootstrap you really are uh, working under pressure much higher pressure mm -hmm. that you need to whatever you're reinvesting you want like quicker returns you're really thinking uh, very nimble very quick how to innovate quickly how to bring value quick, quick quickly it's everything much more uh, connected also and you are doing everything like around innovation so you innovate mm -hmm. things what you will need like maybe one year you're looking how to do things in one month very quickly and it's like a smaller company we've been at that time so everything was like much quicker better communications like that was like our bootstrapping era let's say so like bootstrapping is very good because it likes uh, it like uh, pressing you to deliver value and not uh, lose your focus maybe in some fancy things or maybe to over invest in things that are not ready for scale you know if you scale a thing that is not yet uh, product market fit what we say you know then you scale like one big problem in the organization mm -hmm. and you could do this when you have like a lot of money when you bootstrapping then you go step by step and quickly and if it's not working you're not continuing because you're bootstrapping you know it's so it's like very very good for discipline so you mentioned uh, pressure a few times now and obviously you've been under pressure because you were bootstrapping and there was this huge growth and a global expansion and i read somewhere that you used to travel 11 out of 12 months of the year um, how do you stay sane during all that uh, so first i really enjoy pressure i don't have stress about that i enjoy <laughs> this work you know so you love pressure but you're not under stress this is right yeah sometimes you are under stress okay. sometimes but i enjoy working under pressure so we need to deliver something quickly mm -hmm. and um, uh, from 2008 I was traveling for, like, let's say, more or less the whole career, except in COVID, of course, like nobody. And uh, from 2008 till 2012, for five years, I was 11 months, more than 11 months yearly, traveling around the world to set up offices, partnerships, customers, find people for the different locations. And um, I still didn't have like a family at that time. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, super good for me. I was young, traveling around the world, and doing what I like to do. Mm -hmm. It just made made sense in that phase of your life. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was at that time uh, what thirty uh, years old, very young. Was there anything that you didn't like about that period and traveling so much? Uh, I mean, now looking back, you know, like I have many funny, you know, like uh, stories to tell. Mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> so Infobip, we started our international expansion, okay, here around Europe, but our main focus was like um, Africa, Russia, Middle East, India, Asia Pacific, Latin America. So 
different types of couches. Uh, mm. Some are like uh, not, let's say, the, let's say what will come first, to where, where you can make business, but very populous couches with uh, high growth, you know, like, and uh, I think this is the, what is unique for InfoVip today. We have like 77 offices all, around the world. It would, be, it would have been interesting if you uh, if YouTube was popular then if, and if you had a travel channel. I think that would be very, <laughs> very popular. Travel vlogger. Travel vlogger. How much do you travel today? Today I was just to the school and <laughs> kindergarten to pick These up days. my kids. <laughs> Long distance. Yeah. These days, on, on Sunday, for example, I'm going two weeks to the US. Mm -hmm. But now we restarted travel, so basically I'm... Two, two weeks uh, traveling, two weeks here back in Croatia. So it's more seasonal? So you have seasons of travel, seasons of when you're here, something like that? In summer, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Of course. <laughs> I mean, what, where would you be then here? Um, you already mentioned uh, Roberto, as some may not know, he's your brother. Uh, how did you get your brother to work with you, especially at, because in the beginning, again, it wasn't really working out. Uh, he was working with Yannick, I'm guessing a good job. Said, yeah. um, how also did that, government owned, we must yeah, also government owned. How, how, did, how did that conversation look like? Yeah, so he started to work with us on these first projects of the virtual community. Mm -hmm. Then our first InfoBib project was started in October 2003. Which failed, then InfoBip number two failed, you know, and he was working on all of these projects, helping a little bit. And then when we founded the company, like he was here and there helping on some things. And um, in 2009, uh, so he was the technical director of the uh, part of the shipyard here in Pula. He's a mechanical engineer. And 2009, basically, I asked him, but also he made, uh, let's say, a more or less easy decision. We already started to scale at that time, and the shipyard was not in a good shape. Okay. And he liked IT software from when he was a kid as well, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was convinced. Were your parents convinced as well? Like both? They were the investors. So. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I paid already. Then okay. <laughs> no, no, but it was like already picking up mm -hmm. very seriously. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. And how did those first days, like uh, Roberto, Isabel, you working how? So Isabel uh, worked on the IT part, and then you basically divided the, the sales and business part, right? Isabel was like uh, what we, uh, from day one. He was CTO mm -hmm. from when been just he was the CTO and I was the CEO when we founded yeah. the company. <laughs> As people are when they found companies. <laughs> And uh, he was always focused on like the engineering part, on mm -hmm. development, um, technical support was a little bit with, on my side, a little bit on his side, but I was more, more or less focused in the beginning on finance, product development, product design, mm -hmm. sales, mm -hmm. sales to other mobile network operators, OP, yeah. that part of the thing. Mm -hmm. And then when Roberto joined, Roberto took over of uh, finance and HR. Mm -hmm makes sense yeah or do you have any tips for uh, family members going into business or <laughs> brothers ah yes uh, you have to be very harsh with your brothers in business <laughs> because business is business and family is family right mm -hmm. so it's like never to confuse the two like you should be very very objective about that mm -hmm. how do you keep that separated oh, can you yes like uh, we have this same look at that you know like business is business mm -hmm. and you know we should be even more objective mm -hmm. and a little bit more 
harsh, let's say, because we are like family related, mm -hmm. then, then we are not, you know. So it's like the opposite than what maybe somebody would expect. Everything stays in the family, everything stayed in your hometown. How do people from your hometown look at you today? Are you still the I don't know, little Silvio or...? Yes, I... What changed? Um, okay, so, but basically, I think not much changed here in Vodnian. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to be like, like that also, that I'm, you know, like the normal person like before, which I am. Mm -hmm. And my, let's say, relationship with the citizens here and everybody knows everybody, it's a very small mm, town. Yeah. It's the same like before and I behave the same like before, so basically nothing changed. Mm -hmm. And how do you look at uh, Vodnyan? Because like over time Infoip obviously has its campus here, HQ, you've invested a lot to grow it, like what do you want from Vodnyan in the future and how do you think like Infoip can help? So we had, uh, so Vodnyan, my family here lives in Vodnyan just last 500 years. Mm -hmm. oh, just that's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so we really love the town, you know, like, yeah. and the history. And, uh, for example, Vodnyan had, uh, I think in 1887 or 88, mm -hmm. already the public lights about 10 years before Zagreb and 4 or 5 years before Pula. And Pula was a very important part at the time. So there have been many industries here. And um, somehow also we started to build like the tech city here before like the pandemic to build, to bring other engineers and people from Infobip from all around the world and then stopped a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. but it would be super good, you know, to, uh, let's say, refresh this type of, uh, let's say, bright people trying to build something and here is much easier to do something like that than in Zagreb mm -hmm. because Zagreb is a very large city if you can attract one two hundred engineers or people around the world is nothing will change for Zagreb but here for Vanyan you could do like something very positive Different. so that's something that I would like how I'd like to maybe mm -hmm. bring some more impact mm -hmm. here so that's your impact as, as a CEO now for a question a bit different if you weren't the CEO of Infoip, of a unicorn tomorrow, what would you do? Would it be producing olive oil, like Infoip does already? Would it be uh, sailing on your boat? What would be like the, what would Silvio's life look like? And it's not in technology. It can it, be. It can be? Would, would, would it that Let's be say no that Infobib doesn't exist. Uh, you just can't be the CEO or work for Infobib tomorrow. It still uh -huh. exists, maybe. Maybe, you know, like I would like to be a mentor to some other startups, you know. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I would work for somebody in an mm -hmm. interesting startup, something around that. But also, let's say, my family, they have been like producing olive oil before mm -hmm. and things like that. So this is also interesting, working mm -hmm. with the nature, you know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me that even with my question being geared towards like sailing and all of them, everything you come back to, oh, well, I would work for some, for someone or a mentor, it, I'm guessing it goes back to you like what you do and you would just like, that's why you do it, that's not about Yeah, right. For example, if tomorrow I'm not in Infobip anymore, mm -hmm. I would create my own start, new startup. 
<laughs> it's at least what I think now, you know. Jesus, the conversation we've had. Yeah. It's like if Netokra- if we weren't in Netokratia, we would just like probably create another one. <laughs> would you bootstrap again? Today? Um, I would, uh, for sure, I would try to, to do this by bootstrapping, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we'll depend on the circumstances, uh, the conditions, uh, economic course. environment and everything. But bootstrapping is uh, cool. Well, in the end, I would like to go back to your early days before you went to college. I listened to an interview where you mentioned a book that changed your life. It was called Using C by Lee and Mark Atkinson. And you were in high school uh, in your junior year. And you and thanks to your, you being obsessive with that book, you actually had seven Fs in the end of the school year. Do you still have that book? <laughs> uh, this is correct. Yeah, I had seven Fs or like one. Here yeah. in Croatia, and out of 11 uh, <laughs> possible votes, you know, like I was the worst in the school at that like semester, you know, <laughs> because I was just reading programming with this book. Uh, I didn't see this book for a few years, but for like here and there, in, like in several years, uh, like I'm seeing it a little bit, so like it's somewhere at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we talk uh, a lot here today about you being passionate about coding and still you decided to study energetics. Do you feel sorry that you chose that today? Uh, no. Um, at that time, you know, like after two weeks that I started with energetics, I was thinking like to basically drop off the university. Uh, and, you know, like when you're a student, you like to have fun around, uh, go out, go on sports, you know, things like that. So I, I was thinking, you know, IT is changing very quickly. If I go to energetics, nothing changed for the last 100 years. I have to learn that and I will apply that, you know, like that was my mindset at that okay. time. You know? Yeah. And after two weeks, you know, like I noticed that this is not what I like, really. This is not for me. But somehow, you know, like I said, you know, if I can do something that is like that I really don't like and I can accomplish that. Then after that, when I will work on something that I really like, then I will do really good. Mm-hmm. It was like a mindset. You need to do this something for two years. It's easier to basically say, okay, I don't want to do this, you know, like I or like to you, you just need to continue, right? Mm-hmm. And this is true in your life as well, you know. Oh, do you still write code nowadays? Uh, no, I didn't for many years already. <laughs> Would you like to do that again? Uh, you need to have time for that, but I really like this world, this thinking, you know, that you create, whatever you want. So maybe with AI? And AI is super nice, yeah. <laughs> maybe you get back to it with uh, the kid yeah. when you start coding. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and one extra question. In the next uh, episode of this podcast, we're going to interview our colleague, Jan Mostic. Uh, do you have a question for him that you'd like us to ask? Yes. Uh, so, Ostoich, uh, he joined us uh, beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. And he was for the last 10 years prior to that in uh, McKinsey. We hired McKinsey on some projects. They've been here like for a few months. And we've seen that he's really quick, smart, this, this person. And I told to Roberto, we need to ask him to join us, mm-hmm. you know. And we said to Ostrich, like, okay, 
what do you think if you come to work for Infobip? And you know, he was working in McKinsey, he founded the Tech Council in McKinsey, yeah. he was like one of the top people in the McKinsey. And he thought about one minute and he said, he was like uh, watching outside of the windows there and he said, you know, I really like that. So we are looking here at this olive trees and we are disrupting the world of communication. Mm. <laughs> mm. And my question to him is like, okay, after one year and a half, like how he sees his impact and is he happy in the direction that we are changing this industry? Awesome. I like that. Yeah, we I will like ask that. him. <laughs> but after this one minute, he said, yes, I will come. Let me just call my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And on that, we can end. Thank you for being part of the first episode of the podcast. Thanks so, to you. Yeah, you. super.